My dad is away this morning. He is probably catching walleye right now on Eagle Lake, one of his favorite places in the world. So that's kind of nice for him. Uh, we are going to be continuing the series that he started a few weeks ago called uh, Down to Earth. And uh, the first, first sermon of that series, he talked about why are we here? Second one was who's the boss? Third one is where are we? This message is going to be what should we expect out of life on earth? Or what should we not expect out of life on earth? And uh, we're going to go to a book that is better than any I know to talk about uh, what to expect. Okay, and that's the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be talking about the first three chapters, but right now we're going to just look and read uh, the first part of Ecclesiastes 3. It'll be on the screen here. Solomon says, there is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, and a time to uproot, a time to plant, and a time, or a time to, sorry, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken away from it. God does this so that people will fear him. Whatever is, has already been. And what will be has been better. Or what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. When I was a kid, uh, my dad read us great stories every night, and he had a voice for every different character in every different story. And uh, one of his favorites, one of my favorites, were the original Winnie the Pooh stories. Um, maybe you should ask him to do his piglet voice for announcements sometime or something. But uh, it's great. But his Eeyore, his Eeyore voice was particularly good, and it was, it was really deep and really slow and melancholy. And Eeyore always says things like, the nicest thing about the rain is that it always stops eventually. You know? And everybody thinks Eeyore is just this, this downer, this depressed pessimist. But you know what? I think Eeyore is a realist. He says things how they are, and I, I like to refer to Ecclesiastes as the Eeyore of the Bible, 
okay? He, but it's not because Ecclesiastes is depressing, though a lot of people think it is. It's not because it's pessimistic. It's because it's realistic. It was written to help us understand our lives as they really are. And Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. And that's what wisdom is. It's, it's realistic. To be wise is to see reality for what it truly is and to be able to see every event and every person, including yourself, from God's perspective. And the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he wants us to, to view our lives from the perspective of eternity. He wants us to see that we are a mist, a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. And we want, he wants us to see ourselves from eternity. And so in, when he begins chapter 1, Solomon says this. He says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Okay, that sounds pretty depressing. And if you said it in an Eeyore voice, it'd be really funny. <laughs> I won't do that. But, but he's, not being, he's not being a pessimist here. He's not being a downer. He's being a pragmatist. Okay, he's being realistic. The word that the NIV translates meaningless is, is the word hevel, okay, from which we actually get um, our word, uh, the name Abel from it, from the Bible, same word. Um, but I think the best way to translate it is, is vanity, futility. Everything is, is futile. Everything is pointless. Just like Abel's death was pointless, you know, a pointless murder by a jealous brother. So everything is, is vanity. And kind of this is how he's thinking. You know, it's pointless to spend your money on really expensive food because you'll eat it and then you'll get hungry again, okay? It's futile to redecorate your house because you're just going to get used to it again and feel the need to redecorate. It's hevel to go on vacation because you're the same stressed out person in Hawaii as you are in Michigan, okay? <laughs> this isn't pessimism. This is realism, okay? And, and you simply... You, you simply cannot reach a place in this life where you will feel completely fulfilled. Okay? It's not that our existence is pointless. God has a reason for us to be here. And it's not that you should just give up and stop trying. Actually, Solomon says you should work hard and enjoy the fruits of your labor. It's not even that you shouldn't redecorate your house or that you shouldn't go on vacation. He's simply saying it's vain to try to reach a point of inner, perfect inner fulfillment and satisfaction now. Because this side of the resurrection, we are not capable of finding it. Okay? Just, just like you can feel the wind, but you can't catch it, you can feel the need to be filled up to the brim, but you can't be. The message of the book is really simple, of Ecclesiastes. Solomon's message is that you can never fill yourself up in this life, and honestly, you shouldn't try. And we, after all, we weren't put on this earth to feel fulfilled, but simply to obey God and be content with the lot that he's given us in life. In chapter 2, Solomon tells us that he tried every possible way to find fulfillment that he could, right? He, he tried pleasures first, but he, they didn't fill his soul. He tried building and success, but those didn't last. He even tried gaining wisdom, and all he realized is that we are nothing but a cup with a big hole in the bottom, okay? And the more we try to pour into our lives to try to fill ourselves up, the quicker we get empty again. We simply were not made to be full in this lifetime. 
The many addictions that people get themselves into is evidence of that. They can't fill themselves up, and the more they pour in, the more empty they are. One of our most persistent cultural myths in America is the myth of fulfillment. If you watch TV for five minutes, okay, for five minutes, you're going you're gonna to realize this. Every commercial is another promise. It's an empty promise to fill our cup. Almost every movie, you know, people at the very end, they, they find their romantic interest and, oh, life is perfect now. You know, or every TV show, every episode ends in this satisfying way. But it's not true. Fulfillment is a myth, at least in this age. And I'm positive that if Solomon watched our TV for five minutes, I know what he'd say. He'd throw his remote in the air and he'd say, vanity, vanity, all of this is vanity. You know? And you know what? The, this myth has penetrated into, into the church in America. It's a myth that somehow Jesus can fill us to the brim, okay? And that we'll never feel dry and empty again. It sounds holy. It sounds right to say that God can make us complete, that he can patch up the hole and fill us up right now so that we'll never feel empty again. Let me tell you this. God can patch the hole. He can fill us up, but not now, Okay? We must wait until the resurrection on the last day. Christianity simply does not promise fulfillment. It promises joy from the Holy Spirit in this life. It promises contentment, whether with plenty or with with little, but not fulfillment. If you look at the lives of the faithful people, the faithful believers before us, have any of them been fulfilled? Have any, were, were their lives exactly what they hoped and wished they would be? Did they find the ideal? Think about Moses, okay? Did he wander around the wilderness for 40 years feeling self-fulfilled? Oh, my life is perfect. This is exactly what I was planning on. No, no. Did, did Elijah hop onto the chariot of fire feeling like he had lived a perfectly satisfying life? What about Jeremiah? Was he exactly where he expected and hoped he would be when he was thrown into a cistern and his prophecies were ignored and he was carted off to Egypt against his will? Even Paul. Paul Paul was the one who said, I have found the secret of being content in every situation. But in that same book, the book to the Philippians, he said that he longed to die and be with Christ, which is better by far. Okay? The portrait of the faithful is not the portrait of the fulfilled. And we're not Christians because Christianity gives us a feeling of fulfillment. We're Christians because Christianity is true, because Christ is true, because the gospel is true. One of the beautiful things about our faith is that we can have joy and contentment now in the midst of an unfulfilling life. When our lap is empty, When our cup is dry, we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And we can be thankful in every circumstance because that is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. We can have joy and contentment even in the most difficult circumstances because we trust that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because we have the hope of the resurrection when God will set everything right, will fill our cup, And wipe the tears from our eyes. Ecclesiastes is not a hopeless book. It just shifts our hope elsewhere. 
Our hope is no longer in feeling fulfilled right now in this lifetime, but our hope is in the goodness of God and in the rightness of his judgments. We trust that he will make everything beautiful in its time. So if chapter one and two are about the pointlessness of trying to fulfill, to find self-fulfillment in the things of this world, chapter three shows us the futility of expecting to find fulfillment in a certain season of our life. You know what, our race is forever dissatisfied with the present and forever hopeful for the near future. You know, you ever heard this? I only, if only I can graduate high school, then life will be right. Or what about when we can finally move out of this cramped house, then I'll be so happy. Or what about, I can't wait till the kids get out of the baby stage. Okay, man, I won't have to hold them all the time. And then I can't wait till the kids get out of the toddler stage, then I won't have to feed them and do everything for them. And then, oh my goodness, teenagers are insane. When are they going to grow up? Okay? I like teenagers. But, or what about this? I can't wait till I retire from this job. Then I'll finally have time to do everything I want to do. Right? Solomon wants us to stop thinking like that. Stop, stop it, he says. You know what? He says there's a time for everything. That's verse 1 of chapter 3. The word time there is a unique word in Hebrew. And it, it means an appointed time that's been set aside for a purpose. It's used in the book of Esther when the Jews set aside a certain time each year to celebrate Purim, okay? And uh, when Solomon says there's a time, a set time for everything, he means that the things that happen, all the seasons that you go through in life are not accidents of nature, but they are times appointed by God to accomplish a purpose. God has set a time for everything. There will be good times, and there will be bad times. Seasons of growth, and seasons of uh, uh, dry seasons that drag on. There's going to be times for celebrating new birth, and times for weeping at the graveside. There'll be times of stress, and busyness, and maybe some times of rest, too. We'll see, you know? (laughs) Times of rest. Every season has its appointed time, and its designated purpose. Every season that you go through, And even the season of life that you're in right now. And this is what that means. That means that when life is not what you want it to be, when life is not what you want it to be, that does not necessarily mean that it's not what it should be. God uses all the different seasons of our life for a purpose that we can't see. And we can be sure that we will not find fulfillment in any of those seasons, but that God will use them to fill us up in the end. Okay. The youth group <clears throat> goes to Cedar Point occasionally. You'll see it in the bulletin sometimes. And most of the teens know that I hate roller coasters. Okay, I still go, but I, I really don't like roller coasters. I'd be, rather be waiting in line at the DMV than waiting in line for a roller coaster. But... When I go to Cedar Point, the only, the only ride that looks fun to me is uh, the train ride that goes really slowly around the park. It goes in a straight line. There's no hills. There's no bumps. You know exactly what to expect. When I was, when I was younger, uh, I went with a group to Cedar Point, 
and uh, the Millennium Force was first out. And uh, it was, at the time, it was the biggest ride in the world. And the whole group jumped in line. And I had to figure out whether I was more scared to be in the park by myself or to get in line. And somehow I ended up in line. And so, you know, without really making the choice, I was in the middle of the line. And as the line sort of progressed, I was becoming more and more obvious to me that there was no way out of this ride. Okay, I was going to have to do it no matter what. And when I got on the coaster, the, the harness, the seat thing wouldn't go all the way down. There was like this much le room between my skinny little legs and the, the bar. And I was terrified. And as I was going up that coaster, I knew I was in for it. My point is that life is like a roller coaster, not like a train ride. And there is no way out of riding this coaster. Okay? And... This is, the, this is the life that Solomon is telling us to expect. There are ups and downs. There's supposed to be ups and downs. That's the way that God designed it and purposed it to go. And, and just like when you're riding a roller coaster, it's usually the drops that you notice, and the smooth parts go by so fast you don't even notice. That's the way life is, okay? For many people, life, for, for many of you, I know life is one trial after another. One trial after another. But we can never say, why does my life have to be this way? Who are we to, to exclaim, this is not the way it's supposed to be? Okay? The times of our lives have already been set and appointed by God. Why should we be so faithless as to think that our lives should be different than what they are? We might ask, why does God have to do it this way? Like, why couldn't he just make it all joys and giggles, you know? You know, even Christ didn't have an easy life. He was called a man of sorrows. Why, why would God choose it this way? Solomon kind of answers this question in a roundabout way in verses 9 through 11. He says, what do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I sort of paraphrase this, but I think it's, it's uh, a good translation of the original language. It says this, what do people ever get for working so hard to make everything come out just right? I've witnessed all the troubles and the sorrows that God brings on people despite their best efforts to avoid them. But God takes everything, no matter how hard or frustrating it is at the time, and turns it into something beautiful at the right time. That's why God has made people eternal beings. Otherwise, they wouldn't find out the reason why he has done everything he's done from start to finish. Up on the screen is a picture of the largest tapestry in the world. It's called the Conception of Christ in Majesty, and it's magnificent. It's huge. It, it weighs over a ton. It's the size of a small tennis court. And this tapestry has 900 different shades of wool in it. I want you to imagine being on the opposite side of that tapestry and looking at just, say, two square inches of it. Looking at all those light and those dark threads and try, coming together and trying to figure out what it's all about, it would be meaningless, okay? It wouldn't make sense. And that's what it's like trying to find, to figure out the times and seasons of our lives from our present perspective. Our toil and our pain looks pointless at the time. But it's not pointless to God. 
It all has meaning. It all has purpose. It's all beautiful in its time. It's part of an eternal picture. And that's why Paul, who who had a very rough life, he said this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's why James could say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I like this quote from John Piper. He says, not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison with eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. The author of Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to look at the current season of our life from an eternal perspective. Even if we don't understand why we're facing depression or loneliness or discouragement or failure or fear or temptation, we can know that on the reverse side, God is making something beautiful out of our entire lives. God is using it and it's not in vain. It is vain to try to choose your own wool and and thread and to create your own life design that you think is going to fill you up when God himself is weaving together the fabric of our days and our times into a masterpiece that will be stitched together with the bigger picture of, of Jesus and his church. See, it's God who makes everything beautiful in its time, not us. See, when we're united with Christ in our sufferings, as Paul says, we join our, well, God joins our other, otherwise meaningless, futile, and vain lives into the grand narrative of Jesus Christ. And that's the story that God, God's been writing from the beginning. And when we give our lives to Jesus, we enter the only story that God is telling, and that changes our lives from emptiness to beauty. One of the things that people often don't consider is that the trials that they face in life and even the pleasures that they enjoy in life might not be for them. That the story of their lives is not really the story of them, but the story of Jesus and his people. And that's exactly the point. This life is not about us and our our personal fulfillment, but about the one who made us for a greater purpose. Solomon says, I know There's nothing better for people to be happy and to do good while they live. That each one may eat and drink, find satisfaction in their toil. It's the gift of God. You know, it's true. If it's true that God directs the seasons of our lives and that we can do nothing to fulfill ourselves in this life, Solomon Solomon calls for two points of application. And these will be our two points of application for today. The first is this. The best thing we can do is to accept the season of life that we're in and be happy about it. You know, what else is there to do besides enjoy life the best we can in the situation that we're in and trust that good things will come even from our troubles? You know, I said Solomon's not a pessimist. He's not a cockeyed optimist either. He's not saying, you know, your life is terrible, but just be happy anyways. You know, he's not saying that. What he's saying is that, is that we can be happy, we can be joyful because we trust God. When we trust 
that God has appointed the present season of our lives and that he's going to make something beautiful out of it in its time, we will be freed to live a life of joy and contentment, even in the midst of an unfulfilling life. The second application is this. God has set life up this way to humble us and make us fear him. That's verse 15. We understand very little about what God is doing in our lives, really, and, and why he's doing it. And sometimes our lives look like a jumbled mess. And sometimes, you know, really, we are powerless in some ways to make life what we wish it would be and to avoid difficult seasons in our lives. Our own limitations should humble us before God, make us trust that he knows what's best for us and that we do not. They should humble us enough to see that our fulfillment and our plans in life are not the most important thing. Jesus is. Why spend your life trying to fulfill yourself when God is going to use your life to fulfill his plans? Thomas Akempis says this, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, except our loving God and serving him only. This is the highest wisdom, to despise the world and seek the kingdom of God. So this is the final conclusion. Don't spend your days wishing you were somewhere else or doing something else or that you were someone other than you are. That's no way to live. And it shows complete lack of trust in God. Okay? The place you are has a purpose. The season of life that you're in and the seasons you have gone through we're supposed to be. And God has made things the way they are to accomplish his great purpose in Jesus. So be joyful and content, knowing that God will use even your toil and your pain to bring about something bigger and more beautiful and more fulfilling than we could have ever hoped for. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would give us this wisdom to see our lives from your perspective. Lord, would you show us the places in our lives where we're just trying to fulfill ourselves and make ourselves happy instead of trusting in you. Help us to trust your wisdom and your power. Amen.